This week on the Physio Foundations podcast is part six of my new graduate series. And this time I'm going to talk to physiotherapist Isabella Smith about her tips for setting yourself up for success in the early years of your career. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So Isabella Smith is a former Monash University physiotherapy student and someone I've taught and worked with in the past extensively. Izzy was one of our top students who received a number of academic awards, and she was also our peer assisted study leader for a number of years, mentoring first year students. Um, so Izzy is now a grade two physio in critical care and surgical services at Monash Health here in Melbourne, Australia. And she's also starting off her education, her education career, helping myself and others, and more importantly, the students here at Monash Uni Physio with physiotherapy teaching. And today I want to talk to Izzy about how she went about things throughout university and into those first few years of her career, because she's been very successful. I want to know what her secrets are. I want to share them with you. Apart from just all the hard work she's been doing, what's the secret? What do we need to do to be successful as well? And so this is an episode for students, early career research, uh, early career clinicians, I should say, um, but also for anyone at any stage of your career, I think you're going to get something out of this conversation. So Isabella Smith, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thanks for having me, Luke. Great to be here. I don't call you Isabella, you're Izzy, and then I spell it wrong on the email whenever I email you. <laughs> I am used to all the weird and wonderful ways of typing and writing my nickname, so that's fine. <laughs> How do they go with the bio? There's probably more that I could have said in there, so do you want to tell us a bit more about your background and interests and where you're working at the moment? Yeah, sure. Thank you for that background, Luke, as well. Um, but. Yeah, to go all the way back, I guess I graduated in 2020, as you said, Luke, from the Bachelor of Physiotherapy Honours at Monash Uni. Um, and throughout my studies as well, I was working, I was doing quite a bit on the side. I was working as an allied health assistant um, within the hospital setting. I was also doing some work at a sports club, doing sports training at a football club, um, as well as some teaching with the university, which you mentioned, Luke. Um, and then in terms of progressing into my career, I got a job as a grade one physio in January of 2021 um, at a private hospital known as Cabrini, um, a hospital where I had a lot of my placements at as a student and also worked as an AHA. So I was quite familiar with that environment, which sort of made the transition a lot easier, I found. Um, and then working here. So I worked at Cabrini for just under two years, rotating through the different streams and areas in rehab and acute. At the same time, I was also still doing a bit of casual weekend work on the side, another um, acute hospital as well, just for a different experience. And to work seven um, days a week as well. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not every week, but maybe once a month. Just no. All right, yeah, sort of have, good. Just to sort of set myself apart and do something different. And then towards the end of my time as a grade one, I rotated through critical care and I sort of found that that area of physio really resonated with me and it was something that I quite enjoyed, which was actually a bit of a surprise to me, really, because I guess during the course, my physio, the physio course, I would never have really envisioned ending up working within an ICU setting um, and I never envisioned it would be something that I would enjoy as much as I do today. Um, and that sort of, yeah, leads me to where I am currently. So late last year, I saw an opportunity for a new role as a grade two 
um, physio within the critical care stream at Monash, as you mentioned, Luke, with opportunities to also work at the new heart hospital that's open, which I found a pretty exciting opportunity. So I thought I'll give it a go and um, was fortunate enough to be successful. And so now here I am three to four months in working in ICU and yeah, having a great time. So you couldn't imagine, well, you didn't specifically imagine being in that role when you were a physio student. That's something that developed through your experience. Yeah, exactly right. Um, when, you know, doing placements and throughout the course, I sort of thought that area of physio, not just critical care, but I guess cardiorespiratory physiotherapy as a broader area, I just sort of never saw myself going down that route. Um, uh, I thought maybe I'd end up in sort of other areas. But then once I actually started working, um, I actually just came to really enjoy it and I saw it in a different light. Um but and, you still really yeah. applied yourself to the cardio-respiratory work. I mean, you were, as I mentioned, one of the top students. You had awards from, you know, and your clinical placements. And so, you know, you you were all on top of that work, but you just had this vision perhaps of being in a different field. What what, what did you think when you are in university? Were yeah, you thinking exactly mask right. stuff like a lot of students? Well, I, well yeah. It's not that I didn't enjoy the, the area at all. Um, I enjoyed the whole course really. But um, like you said, I just didn't see myself going into that area. I wasn't too sure what that might be. Mm. I guess starting before commencing the physio course, I sort of, like most people do, see yourself sort of being a sports physio and going down that route. But I guess a lot of us don't really realise the other side of physio and that physios do work in hospitals and there's so many different areas you can go into. And once I started work um, on placements, I sort of came to love that. And I knew I wanted to work in a hospital setting. I didn't really know what route I would go down. Um but definitely wouldn't have predicted it would have been ICU, that's for sure. And I guess it's something we're not really exposed to it a whole lot in university. It's quite a niche sort of area that we touch on a little bit but because it's, it is so niche and a bit more specialised. We don't really come to know a lot about it. So I guess maybe that's another reason why I never envisioned myself going down this path because um, I just didn't really know too much about it until you start actually working in it. Yeah. Mm. And what's it like? Can you take us uh, physios who haven't worked in an ICU before, apart from very limited weekend cover and um, and being a student myself, take us through it and what what do you like about it and what do you do? Yeah. Um, so I guess working in an ICU, you're dealing with the sickest of patients in the hospital setting, which is not for everyone, of course, but um, I guess the benefit of that is there's – a lot you can also do to assist people and at the same time I find you can sort of see results and see the impact of of your treatments um, quite quickly sometimes or because they're, they're staying in ICU you sort of follow them along and, and really get to see the, the changes that you're able to make but I guess a day um, working in ICU is always different because uh, patients could be from any sort of area of the hospital they could be a neurological patient they could be you know, musculoskeletal patient, but they've got the common factor of being quite unwell medically or mm. whatever it might be. So I guess that's the sort of part I like about it is that you're sort of working with all different kinds of patients and having to sort of adapt on the spot. So it's never boring, that's for sure. Um, it's always interesting and keeps you on your toes. Um, and then in terms of what we sort of do, um, it's sort of your your usual bread and butter of of Physio, physio, working as a physio in, within the hospital setting in terms of doing your assessments and treatments and mobilising, but it does look a bit different in terms of maybe half the patients are seeing are on ventilators, which um, I wouldn't have thought 
I would have thought maybe restricts what you can do with them in terms of getting them up and moving, but it actually doesn't at all. Um, sort of most days, our patients will be, you know, have a tube down their throat and be ventilated when we're still getting them moving, getting them standing, um, and still doing all that side of things as well. And then also there's the other side of it, which you don't really get to do much in university or as a student, but now that I've started working, you get to play with sort of, I guess say, I say play with ventilators, but obviously change ventilator settings and, and sort of optimize lung function and airway clearance um, and employ different pieces of equipment and things. So, yeah, there's a whole broad range of things we sort of get to do every day. It's hard to describe, but it's, it's definitely, it keeps it interesting. However you describe it, as you said, far from boring. And, yes. <laughs> you know, we don't need to, our, our audience is very much aware of the, the rationale for getting people moving and, um, and you know, applying those same principles, but just in an intensive care environment. But there's been a lot of research in the last 10 years, some of it led by Melbourne researchers, looking at those mechanisms um, uh, that help people improve. So it's, it's a really interesting field. So. I think you made a really important point there for students who might have an ICU component to a, pl a placement coming up or someone like yourself who may have never worked in an ICU. These are, these are not, there's knowledge and skills that you have that you just went and applied in that environment. It wasn't something like you didn't have to do another degree to go and work in that environment. So, but it's no, pretty exciting for you. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I, I feel like, um, it can be quite daunting, I guess, especially as a student, if you do have a placement in, in ICU, I didn't personally, or even as a, as a grade one, or, or even myself now still, um, can be quite daunting, I guess, you know, knowing that you're dealing with really unwell people, but it's just all the same principles, really. It's exact same principles as, as any other area of physio. So one of the things remembering that, would, that helps. Mm, one of the things that you would do really well in the hospital would be getting to know all the other staff and the roles and responsibilities and getting to know particularly the nurses in charge of that ward and, and working with them. So is it a bit, is it sort of like that, but just uh, even more emphasis on the communication? You, you have to be talking to everyone constantly, I'd imagine. Most definitely. Yeah. Because in ICU, you've always got a nurse there. It's one-to-one -one nursing. So you're always mm. liaising with the nurses. They're always present. Um, so you become, yeah, you work quite closely with them and doctors as well. I guess maybe in, in, in more of a ward-based setting, you probably just see them on the odd occasion and might have an opportunity to chance to chat to them maybe every so often. But I guess in the ICU setting, it's sort of more of a daily conversation, which is great because it means, um, the care of the patient is really led by the whole team and not just physios, but getting speech, speech pathologists and yeah, other MDT members involved as well. Mm. I want to ask you about, go back to your experience studying physiotherapy. And um, the, the question I had was, what did you learn in uni? How, how did what you learned in uni prepare you for your first job? How prepared did you feel when you started working as a physio? And what was it like transitioning from being a student to a professional? Yeah, so I guess university was fantastic. I feel like it set me up really well with the fundamentals of every sort of area of physio, um, particularly with a, within a hospital setting in terms of the knowledge and skills. Um, and also sort of not just um, the more clinical skills, but also set us up quite well in terms of the more interpersonal skills and building upon things like communication, um, where, you know, we'd start off in first year, 
chatting to our peers and doing subjective with our peers and then you you do the simulation sessions where you're sort of um, mimicking chatting to patients and then you're on placement and you're chatting to patients. So you sort of, within the course, it was great to build upon your um, communication skills in that way. So I think, um, yeah, and then I guess once you start working though, it's taking it that step further and actually applying it even more um, and applying it independently. Um, I think one difference I found was a major difference between sort of the way I was looking at things as a student um, versus when I started working, we sort of learn concepts in blocks um, throughout the course in terms yeah. of, you know, you do your musculoskeletal area and your cardiorespiratory and, and neurological, then even your placements are sort of grouped into those areas. And so as a student, I was probably sort of focused on those one areas and when I was on a neurological placement treating my neurological patient but once you start working you realize patients are not in those boxes um, and they often have multiple um, medical issues and physical impairments from different areas yeah. I think that's one thing that was sort of different in bringing it all together and sort of being more holistic and not just treating that one problem because that's the the ward you're working on but seeing the patient as a whole patient so I think that's so yeah essentially uni sort of Pulls up those foundations, and you sort of have to take it that step further, and and sort of look more broadly, if anything, mm. than you did in uni. Yeah, I'm not sure if I went off on a tangent and answered your no, question. This but, this yeah. could be the tangents podcast. That's what we do. That's good. <laughs> That's good. We're exploring um, more in a more deeper way rather than just answering questions in some way that you're supposed to. So you can talk for as long as you like. But the the follow up question with that one is: What were those knowledge and skills? Um, that you, a bit more specifically, that you learned in university that you can't go to work without today? What, what's so essential in your current work? You mentioned communication. Um, so you, you could take this any direction you like. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, communication is definitely, that's the big one because that's sort of, it's broad, but it's sort of underpins and it's the basis of like our jobs as physios. Um, and like I said, you know, within uni, you sort of build upon that from first year and then applying it to actual patients in terms of communication. Um, but because, and we sort of started to do it in university on, and on placements, but also tailoring communication is is sort of one of the more harder things to different listeners. And it's something that it, you get better at and it's something that you you know, you can never master really. And then, you know, the more patients, the more people you encounter from different backgrounds and different understandings, um, the better you get at, sort of communicating in different ways. Um, so I guess communication is a school that you don't really, doesn't really have a ceiling to it. And I think university sets up really well and to progressively build upon that and start to consider communication in sort of a real world context, but um, it's something that you're going to continue and I'm still continuing to improve upon. Um, and I guess something else in university, um, a skill that we're sort of, I think is sort of ingrained in us a little bit here and there throughout the course being reflection as well mm, that's come up recently but, in these conversations mm. but yeah it's something that uh, sort of at the time in university you sort of you, you do these little assignments here and there asking you to reflect on different things and you sort of at the time might think oh sort of you know why are we doing this sort of what's the point of this but I think um now looking on it in, in hindsight you can sort of see how it sort of sets you up well to be a a reflective person in your in your practice um, and in order to improve upon yourself as a person and, and a physio you have to reflect yeah um and i know more formally working now i guess it depends on where you work but there are still formal 
monthly reflection processes to tick off and things to do, which encourages you to keep that up really from university. Um, but I think that's sort of what sort of helped me progressed, um, progress and improve myself as a clinician is thinking about, you know, where I've come from, where I'm at now and what I can do to make myself a better better clinician and yeah, better person. Mm. And in, in, within a hospital in, the, in an organizational environment like that, there's inbuilt structure and you're going to, it's, you're going to lend itself to having mentors and supervisors, and then you'll be supervising students and more junior clinicians as well. So there's, there's sort of an inbuilt mentoring in there, but how have you approached mentoring in, in terms of the less formal way? So how, do, how have you worked with more senior clinicians and, and anyone across the hospital system to, to get mentors as you've been going? Yeah, I guess that was sort of um, one of the reasons why I sort of like the idea of a hospital setting in terms of you're always going to have people around you. you you're never really going to be alone at any one time. And so that sort of makes it a lot easier to, I think, find mentors. Um, and like I was sort of touching on earlier, you've when you are working in a hospital, as a grade one, for example, you you always have sort of a grade two senior that's your set mentor and supervisor. Um and there's often formal processes of, um, you know, catching up with them regularly. Um, so that sort of makes it a lot easier because usually there's something set in, in place. Um, but then at the same time, now I'm sort of on the other end of things and being a grade two, having opportunity to mentor grade ones as as well, which is something new to me. Um, and, and, and other times as well, you might come across particular more senior clinicians that maybe resonate with you or um, I was doing a bit of research at Cabrini as well um, and had a, a senior clinician there that was sort of guiding me with that and I sort of kept them on as sort of a mentor as well and just to maintain communication with them so I think yeah if you come across someone that um, resonates with you whether they're more senior or the same level as you I think just trying to maintain the communication with them and and feeling like you can reach out to them um, is sort of, yeah, helped me as well along the way. Yeah. And day-to-day questions, processes, support, friendship, all of that, but then also yeah. having someone who you know, could perhaps challenge you as well. And you, so you've got um, experience. It, it's it's funny, as I was preparing for this interview with you, I was thinking back to, because you were our peer-assisted study session or pass tutor for two or three years, weren't you? Which is yeah. so. This is um, a program that used to run within Monash, across the, our whole faculty, which physiotherapy sits in, where the students come back and they act as tutors or or peer assisted study guides for our students. So, so you and Brian were our past leaders for two or three years in first year. So I got to work with you as a student and then work with you as a a tutor or as a, a past leader. How did that work shape your or help you? With the current work, particularly with say uh, mentoring grade one clinicians, yeah, yeah, no, I really enjoyed uh, my days as a past tutor and was doing it. I think from the start of second year of uni to the end of fourth year, so mm. it was a whole three years. It was a good chunk of time, but um, it was a really good opportunity to interact with students from another year level. Um, so, because I guess when you're a physio, you're always working alongside individuals with different, differing years of experience to you, both more and less. So, I guess it set me up well for that because I was already working with, you know, students of, of different experience and different years of experience. Um, and in particular, definitely, I know we're touching on communication a lot, but 
I think it really helped improve my, my communication skills as well as skills as an educator. Um, I guess within any area of physio, you're always, you've got sort of some element of education in really your daily practice, whether that be to patients or um, to your maybe your peers or if you're a more senior physio, maybe to um, grade ones, for example. Um, but I guess what sort of past taught me was that, you know, there are people with differing ways of learning things and understanding and comprehending things. And it sort of taught me the basics of that and how I might go about tailoring my communication so that someone else can understand it in, in a way that makes sense to them. And I guess... Oh, great, yeah. Yeah, building upon that and then using that with patients mostly, but also, um, you know, other other physios as well. When I started working more junior physios, I think has assisted me in that way, being able to tailor my communication. Um, and another thing as well, I think it really enhanced my ability, my flexibility and adaptability, because in, in the last year of it, it was actually moved to COVID, because of COVID lockdown. So you had to sort of immediately start teaching um, online um, mm. with a sort of, yeah, a very short notice. So I guess that taught you me a lot me about. Both. Yeah, I know you would understand yeah, that as well, Luke. Yep. <laughs> it's an interesting experience, but it taught me a lot about being able to just adapt and change on the spot because I yeah. guess working in a hospital environment, that's something that happens, you know, every day. It's, it's, something's always changing. And I guess being able to be understanding of that and just rolling with it. Um, yeah, for sure. Doing, experiencing that helped as well when I started working. So, I mean, lots of transferable skills, obviously, from working. At, so, you were being as a paid role. You're working as an educator while you're a student. But as you mentioned, it, these aren't um, people with twenty year gaps in, of experience in between yourself and the students. Uh, you're, the, you're in second year, and you're helping first year students. And in a way, there's not a lot of gap between a grade two and a grade one clinician as well. So, what do you actually so? What do you actually do as a grade two clinician when you're mentoring and working with supervising a grade one? How much support do you need to give? I guess it depends how close they are to the very first day of work, right? Yeah, essentially. I guess it's it's really tailored depending on on the, the grade one themselves. And obviously sort of an area that I'm, you know, just sort of still starting out in doing. But I guess, you know, a new graduate might need, you know, maybe weekly a weekly catch up to discuss processes or whatever it might be. And then more and more of a senior grade one, it might just be a once monthly touch base. But I guess we do have sort of a formal supervision where you want, where we do that at least once a month to sit down and, and go through sort of goals and things. But then there's a lot of informal supervision that happens when you're working, whether it's in ICU or on the wards, if you're working in the same area and you're, um, you know, you're walking past each other and you might chat about different complex patients or particularly in an ICU, a lot of the time, um, some of the patients require multiple physios to treat them at the one time. And so that's sort of incidental um, mentoring and supervision as well. So it, it takes many forms, and it, but it really depends on, I guess, what the individual needs and what stage they're at um, mm. in their grade one career. Yeah. Well, it was, I spoke to Josh Vinton, who's in your year level, who graduated. Yes. He must have graduated in uh, 2020, at the end of 2020 with you. And he's going to the UK soon with Alyssa and they're, they're heading off there and he's going to do 
probably do some hospital work and he hasn't done it before. And that was an interesting discussion. So you, say you were supervising or working with or mentoring Josh, getting him going, or, or maybe even if you were asking, if he was asking you, should I take this hospital position? I've been working in private practice for two or three years now. Am I going to be able to do it? Have I forgotten everything? Um, should I do this or should I wait out for a, uh, something that is more familiar to me? How would you mentor him or what would you advise him? Should he, should he take that hospital job? Can he still do it? Yeah, look, I think whether it's practice or it is the hospital setting, physio skills are the bulk of them, like the major ones like communication and those sort of things we're talking about, they're transferable, I think, across no matter where you're working. So I think, you know, if you have worked in private practice for a couple of years now, you would have built upon those skills really well and yeah. would be able to take them on board on board with you um, to be a good physio even in a hospital setting. And I guess it might just be about looking over those old textbooks or old notes about on the details of maybe a few different things. But I think overall, I don't think, I don't see why there would be a reason stopping you from doing, yeah, going from either way. And I know people, a lot of people do that mm. um, because, yeah, overall the the major skills are really the same. And even, you know, your assessments and treatments, although you're looking at different conditions, you know, in private practice, you're looking more at sports related injuries and pathologies at the same, at the same, um, at the same time, you're still assessing a patient, you're chatting to them and you're treating them. And it's, it's all really the same principles. Um, so I think, yeah, there's nothing really stopping you. And that was his conclusion as well. And um, obviously he was really open to whatever was ahead and, and all the knowledge and skills that he would gain from that. So, um, there you go. I'm sure there's a listener out there who's in that position. So we hope that's helpful for you. Um, tell us about, let's, let's think a bit more broadly about the profession. And uh, so I had Vasish, another um, friend of yours from your year level. So Vasish Vasan was on the last episode, one of the new grad episodes. And so he's in a private practice. And so here we're contrasting private practice and hospital environments with people in the same stage of their career transitioning from university to working life. And I asked him the same question. What was, and the question was, what's your view of the profession at the moment from your viewpoint? And, and how do you see the profession changing or evolving you know, in, in the future? Yeah. I'll throw that one at you. Yeah. Unplanned. No, no, it's a good, it's a difficult one, but it's a good one. I think, yeah, physio, is probably more than most careers a really ever changing profession. Um, I know for a fact, relating it to my own um, current work in ICU, it might have been, you know, ten even just ten years ago. I, I to my knowledge, I don't think physios might have had as much of a presence in ICU as we do now. Um, so I guess that just depicts how much things have changed and how much our understanding of of the role of physios within the hospital setting has changed. And I think the nature of that is because, you know, more research is coming out um, all the time. And that's sort of maybe one of the major reasons what's what's changing our practice. Um, yeah. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit, because in the hospital setting, there's a stack of research that comes out and then you need to be keeping on top of that alongside a really busy working schedule. And I'm sure it's really tiring and we're after work for you now. We're 5.30 PM and you've worked all day. So really appreciate you coming on for a chat. How do you how do you keep on top of all that research? Um, I think I'm I'm personally I'm quite lucky in, in my workplace in terms of um, there are a lot of formalized methods of 
of sharing research, which makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, most weeks or every few weeks, someone will send a new article or something that relates to our area of practice and we'll all read it and and then reflect on it. Like and a formal you know, journal top- club and... Yeah, yeah, well, that's even separate to that. And then there yeah. are also general clubs, which might happen every every couple of months as well, which really more, dives a bit more deeper into into the new research and what we can take and apply from it. Um, so I think I'm sort of in an environment where it's sort of just commonly discussed really and, and shared. So I don't think I really so much have to go out of my own way to sort of investigate things, but there might be the odd occasion where I'm, not too sure about something in particular um, or how to go about doing things. Um, and not only, not, not only looking at research, but also looking at hospital um, protocols and procedures, because often that's consulting the literature um, and the best way about going about things. So I guess in reflecting on those procedures, um, that can sort of also give you an idea on, on the current um, suggested practice as well. So that's sort of another indirect way, I guess I could say up to date with, with the research um, and, yeah, and we've also, I know currently we've got new pieces of equipment that we're trialling as well at Monash um, and using them in the ICU and other small senior members are conducting audits and gathering data and seeing how those can be implemented to help patients too. So I guess I'm sort of, um, yeah, working around live researching, research happening really, which is which is great to see and I guess the results of that, we will implement directly within our hospital and, and go from there. Yeah. So, You've got, yeah. um, it's, there's some parallels with some of the uh, people I've spoken to who are in really good clinics, private clinics, I'm thinking private practice, where they have organized in-services and sessions and, and have an environment where it's not only encouraged to ask questions, but almost expected to say when you don't know and ask lots of questions and have that access to people that you feel like that you, it's a bit more, obvious in the hospital settings. Like I said, everyone's paired up. You have weekly and and then as you get more experience, less frequent meetings, but there's there's a system there, a longstanding system where you are mentored and it's a part of your role. And then there's, there's established ways of, uh, you know, sharing new evidence, for example, like you said, it doesn't necessarily happen in the private world because it depends where you work really. So so there's sort of, sort of some parallels there with the conversations we've been having where, I've, I mean, the, the people I've been speaking to have been really lucky, I guess. They're in, ending up in clinics with people who run those sessions weekly for them and, and will sit down and they'll meet with their more experienced co-workers and run through cases, which is what you've got. So it doesn't matter where you work, you're looking for a supportive structure, especially at this stage of your career, right? Yeah, exactly right. Um and at, at the same time, even even though working within the hospital setting, there are more maybe more formalized methods of mentoring and things. You can always you can always sort of and take. I think it's important. Maybe I didn't do this so much when I was working in my first year, but I probably could have taken upon myself to reach out a little bit more um, um, and ask my seniors for a bit more support here and there, or more regular, frequent um, catch ups and and discussions. So I think. Some of that also is um, so take have to take it upon yourself a little bit as well. You might not realize that early on in your career that you sort of have to drive a little bit of your learning and identify your own gaps and then reach out. Um, so I guess you can sort of within the hospital setting anyway, you can 
really maximize the mentoring you get if you sort of put your hand up as well. So at the time you felt fairly comfortable, but then looking back on it, you think, well, I wish I'd put my hand up and asked questions more often. Yeah. um, Interesting. I guess so you sort of of don't really know too much different and you just, you start working and, and you just get going and you just do whatever sort of happens really. But um, there's, there's always more opportunities to, to reach out, whether it's, you know, sitting down with, with someone more senior or having more discussions. Um, at the time, you might not realise that that's sort of maybe available to you as, you know, more so than what you're already doing. But I think, I guess it depends on where you work, but you can always reach out. Um, and I think yeah, you might be more so, more so afraid to do that when you're just starting out work because you don't really know anything different. But um, I think, yeah, never really be afraid to reach out more if if you're ever unsure or, um, or even just, even if you're not unsure, even if you just want to, take that step further and do a bit more. Mm. Yeah. Do you supervise students? Uh, you yes. That yeah. When yeah. did you start doing that? Um, sort of when I was a grade one, I got a little bit involved in that by choice. I know as a grade one, it's not something that you have to do um, or it's not really necessarily part of a grade one um, role, but um, some grade ones do tend to sort of put their hand up and help out, you know, grade twos or take students on here and there just to sort of, and an extra experience and sort of prepare yourself for the next step with a grade two role where that's more frequent. Um, so yeah, I had opportunities as, as a grade one towards the end. Um, yeah, great. What motivated helped. you? What, why did you want to do that? Um, I'm just interested of, in, yeah, that's great, no, but yeah. I just wanted a bit of an extra challenge. And I guess with my background as well of having the, the being a past leader and a tutor when I was in university, I sort of was yeah. missing that sort of student interaction. It's something that I quite enjoy. And um, I feel like I get a lot out of um, myself and find it, yeah, quite, quite enjoyable. So I was sort of missing that and I wanted to be, get more involved in that again and working with students. Um, and I also recognised that was sort of a gap between you know, me being a grade one and, and me being a grade two. It's sure. sort of everything in your toolkit to um, have that experience supervising students and develop your experience supervising students. So, yeah, for both of those two reasons because I was sort of missing, yeah, looking, um, you know, assisting students and also sort of recognise that that was one of the gaps um, in my current in current work. Yeah, part so of it was preference and, and part was strategy as well. You're thinking about your career and the development, where you're going, because you learn yeah. so much when you have to explain something to somebody else. You have to be very clear about what it is. So did you find that when you were tutoring or when you're supervising students that you, your, your learning curve accelerated a little bit? Or was it- Most, yeah, most yeah. definitely. Um, that was another um, plus side to doing all that tutoring when I was in university. I found it just reinforced my knowledge and it made yeah. me go back and, and revise things and reflect on things. And then also because students pose questions to you that you might not have considered yourself or it makes you have to question your reasoning and your understanding and understand things on a deeper level and understand things better. So I think teaching is a fantastic um, way to learn really. Um, I think they sort of go hand in hand. Mm. Um, and It's not a one-way transfer of information. It is, as you said, they go hand in hand. And But when you're in a stage in your career where there's a big learning curve, you're transitioning from university to working life, and then you can bring in some teaching and clinical supervision. It's, and it's not just because you want to help others. Of course you do. And you want to help other students. You be, you're a really good teacher and be really good to work with, but there's also some acceleration of your development that has to happen, right? In order to 
do a good job. Yeah, no, exactly mm. right. Yeah, it's really important. What about university teaching? So you've done a bit, little bits and pieces um, with me. So you're doing, you're coming back this year for a little bit more. What, what do you want to do in terms of tertiary teaching, university teaching? How do you, where do you see yourself in the future? This sounds like a job interview. Let's stop. <laughs> where do you think you'll go with that? Yeah. Um, it, no, it's always something yeah, that I've enjoyed, like doing it when I was a student and yeah. trying to add that as part of my work now. Um, ideally, I'd love to do more and more of that. Obviously, the clinical side of things is is great and interesting. I love it too. But I, yeah, the more I can sort of add a bit more of that education side of things to my work, I, I think it would create a really great balance. And so I hope to sort of slowly maybe do a little bit more, more and more um, to sort of build upon that and build upon those skills. So I think also it would, you know, in turn make me a better clinician as well, um, as it was sort of, yeah, touching on before. Um, oh, yeah, but it does also, feed back in. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, I think it's a great getting involved in the university and I had such an enjoyable experience throughout my four years yet there. So, yeah, I just want to get back involved um, in that environment really. And mm. yeah. What about research? Have you done any research bits and pieces in your current role or have you thought about any research projects you might want to lead in the future? I've done a, a little bit um, last year um, sort of, was involved in actually writing a bit of a protocol and getting an ethics application going. So I did a little bit of, little bit of that before um, I left and moved into this role here, um, and that was actually, yeah, that was actually um, not in my current area. It was more musculoskeletal side of things, but mm. um, research nonetheless, which I sort of do find interesting as well because we're always we're always amongst research as physios. So it's also nice to be on the other side of things and and be a part of it and, and see how, how it works and how tedious it really is. Yeah. I've <laughs> had some interesting, put into it. Mm, yeah, exactly. I've had some interesting conversations with new grads, including Brian Kim on this podcast about how quickly should you go into research? If you've, you know, you're in those early years, a lot of the development and the work is going to developing yourself as a clinician. Um, how early is it to go into a PhD program, for example, and he's doing his PhD now he's up in Sydney doing his PhD. Um, and it, it's, it's very much a personal choice, isn't it? It really depends on what you, what your opportunities are largely, but I, th I would have thought in your role, you're in a position where as you get more senior, you'll be, you've got those skills from university that I never had. I never graduated. And you know, this is 20 years ago. No one graduated knowing how to do a systematic review or present at a conference or do an ethics application or any of that. You simply had clinical skills and I had to figure all of that out through experience, bitter experience and, and good experience as well along the way. So, I mean, you, you can go in and fit into research projects as a clinician. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty good. Yeah, most definitely. There's always research happening. And like you said, the, the more senior you become within the hospital setting, the more that research is a part of your role. Um, and so I'm, you know, working amongst clinicians that, are doing research on a daily basis and are doing things like their PhD and things on the side. So um, I'm witnessing that, yeah, firsthand. Yeah, you've got to be careful talking to someone like me. The next question is, you know, when, when you're doing your PhD, have you thought about doing a PhD? You've got to be careful. You'll, <laughs> you'll end up doing a PhD. Would you, would you do a PhD one day? I mean, 
I mean, it's something that would definitely interest me. I'm always interested in life See, and learning, <laughs> continuing, continuing, continuing to learn and grow myself and develop. And I guess that's what that's what a PhD is really: continuing to grow and develop and contribute, also contribute back to to research. So it's something I wouldn't rule out. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's a that's a wise answer because that's exactly what it is. It's very much personal professional development rather than a degree. In a way, it's a ticket for certain jobs that have a prerequisite for that. But, and that can be the same in the clinical world and academic world, but yeah, but the reason to do it should be pure. It should be something related to what you're developing in yourself. So, hmm, you know, I planted the seed. You gotta be careful talking to <laughs> academics. They'll try to get you to do your PhD, but now you'd be, you'd be really good at it if you did it. Um, final question is very, very open question. Where would you, um, any final thoughts that you've got on where you are at the moment? So you, I would say you're in a really good position. You're a really good student, um, sort of highly successful transition to, to working life and you're getting yourself set up in a really good job. Um, where to from here and, and any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience about how they can be successful, how they can also make a, the transition to working life? Yeah. Well, in terms of the first part of the question, I guess where to from here, it's sort of difficult to to say, to be honest, because I guess if you asked me that question, you know, two years ago and said, where do you see yourself in two years? I wouldn't have got the answer right in the slightest. Um, and I guess I'm hoping that'll almost be the same in, in two years time and I can surprise myself and I'm, I'm doing something else that I enjoy as well. But I guess for me, it's just about at the time making the most of the opportunities that, that come and, and, um, you know, if I do see another opportunity, taking that on board and doing extra things here and there, if I enjoy them and interest me. Um, so I guess, I guess my piece of advice would be, um, to make the most of the opportunities that you get. I mean, you don't have to go do what I do and have done and do things outside of your current work, but just for, even within, within your work itself, make the most of opportunities that arise, whether that's being involved in a bit of a research project maybe within within your work or um, having a role um, with looking at quality improvement even and getting involved in that side of things or whatever it might be. If an opportunity arises, really take that on board if it interests you because it develops you both as a clinician but a person too and can sort of help you move forward. Um, and I guess another piece of advice I'd probably say is I guess just look at look at the bigger bigger picture um, when you're transitioning into working life, in terms of the patient holistically. Because I guess yeah, like I was sort of saying earlier, it's so easy to see a patient and just see them with that one condition and and then you know treat them for that one condition. But I guess they're a person and they've got so many different comorbidities and things going on that I realized only into you know into my first year of working that oh no they they've got a you know a lot of things going on and you get better the best outcomes if you just see them as the individual person and 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 the problems that they have and how you can best assist them personally rather than, yeah, the, the type of injury or pathology that they have. So, yeah. Okay, fantastic. That's such a good way to end it and a really good answer to a quite a strange question, double-barrel yeah. question. Again, that was good. I just thought, I just thought if we'll, we'll throw out to you any final tips and thoughts and that they were brilliant. Really appreciate the your time, Izzy, and it's really good to see where you've gone. Obviously, I, I know you through university. I've followed you through the years. 
and you've only been graduated for a few years, you've done so much. And what you've got there is, I don't know how you and the others that are new grads that is have interviewed here, have, I don't know how you do it, to be honest. I've, I've asked you some pretty challenging questions about what you're doing, but also getting you to reflect on the profession and, um, and you know, asking you things that you shouldn't know the answer to. You're young. Shouldn't know what you're doing in five years' time, and you've come up with some really good answers. And I'm sure it's going to be helpful for others who are in the same position to see someone who's been really successful, is really enjoying what they're doing, and, and you know has really good processes as well. So, and now uh, you know people people know what you're doing because this is going all around the world. So hello to all our global audience in many different countries. So it's also good to get some exposure for you and the work you're doing. So where can people track you down if they want to send you a message? I guess you've got LinkedIn. Where, where, can, think, they, yeah. where, where can they see you online? In terms of yeah, professionally, probably LinkedIn is the only really thing. Yeah. And the, over the years, those things develop. You might, you know, websites and profiles and different things. And when you get invited to do presentations, for example, you get more well-known and you appear higher on the Google search. But um, so you can find, I mean, you can find Izzy there on, on LinkedIn, but um, you'll see much more of her in the future. So thanks very much, Izzy, for coming on for a chat. Hopefully the first of many. Thanks so much, Luke. No, it's been great chatting to you and it's been nice to reflect, really. Opportunity to reflect. But hopefully it's been insightful. <laughs> Thank no, you. That's a good way. We've got started and, you know, many years ahead of you in your career and we can come back and, and see where you go next. And then we'll have a real answer to that question about where you're going in the future, right? Yes. So thanks everyone for joining us again in a conversation. Um, come back next week because I'm not stopping. We've got more episodes just like this, um, more with new grads, more with some very experienced um, high profile guests who I'm very lucky. They keep saying yes to me and they want to come on here. So obviously really grateful for the people who are supporting the podcast, you as the listener, but also the people who are coming on and can see what we're trying to do here. So until next time, this is Izzy and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.